0: The views expressed on this program are solely those of the speaker and do not reflect the views and opinions of Centennial Securities. Be reminded that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Friday. Welcome to the Weekly Investment Podcast, where we discuss the week's must-know investment news and how it affects your money. I am your host, Walter. This week, we discuss Kellogg's breakfast breakup, recession-proof industries, and the Fed's next move. It's been another exciting week in the investment world, so let's crack right into the news. Kellogg is planning to separate into three independent companies, dividing its brands into snacking, cereal, and plant-based businesses. Shares of the company are up about 4% since the announcement. Since 2010, The food sector has seen nearly 3,000 acquisitions totaling $535 billion. This data, according to DealLogic. So after years of acquisitions and consolidation, why is Kellogg breaking up now and what does this move say about the future of the food industry? Dividing the company will allow Kellogg to focus on areas of growth, specifically snacks. Kellogg, along with rivals like Frito-Lay owner Pepsi and Oreo cookie owner Mondelez, have consistently introduced more snacks and bought smaller brands. Kellogg's $2.7 billion purchase of Pringles 10 years ago signaled the shift to focus on the snacks business, and rival Mondelez recently bought Cliff Bar for $2.9 billion. Cereal sales, though, have slowed as consumers are preferring more quick, on-the-go options. Brands including Special K, Fruit Loops, and Rice Krispies had been the foundation of Kellogg, but are no longer seen as key growth drivers for the company. The pandemic briefly revived the cereal category as more consumers ate breakfast at home, but Kellogg expects flat revenue growth for its cereal business in the future. Combined, Kellogg's plant-based division and cereal business accounted for only about 20% of the company's revenues last year. The remaining business includes its snacks, noodles, and frozen breakfast brands. That business will house brands like Pringles, Cheez-It, Pop-Tarts, RxBar, and Eggo Waffles. The snack-focused company will also be looking to add more brands to its portfolio through acquisitions, according to Kellogg. Names for the three companies have not yet been decided, and the spin-offs, as they're known, are not to be expected until the end of 2023. Headquarters for the three businesses will remain unchanged, The cereal company and plant-based food spinoff will be located in Battle Creek, Michigan. The global snacking company will keep its corporate headquarters in Chicago and will be led by current CEO Steve Cahillain. Kahlane said Kellogg hasn't decided yet how it will divide up its precious dividend among the three companies. What does this mean for the future of the industry? Look for other rivals of Kellogg to follow suit, spinning off more growth-oriented areas of their business and increasing acquisitions. When a recession or an economic slowdown occurs, markets become volatile, increasing pressure to sell stocks. While some industries are more susceptible to economic cycles, other industries perform well, regardless of what's happening with the economy. No company is entirely recession-proof, but some industries tend to see strong performance, even when unemployment increases and consumer sentiment falls. Consumer staples, grocery and discount stores, alcohol, funeral services, and healthcare are just a few. Consumer staples refer to companies that make products that are always in demand. Think household items like Toothpaste, soap, shampoo, laundry detergent, dish soap, toilet paper, and paper towels. Grocery stores and discount retailers, well, they sell those consumer staples that have to be purchased. And it's those larger retail chains that are able to use their size and scale to reduce costs and offer those products at the lowest price that tend to outperform. Alcohol manufacturers who make beer, wine, and distilled beverages produce high-margin products that remain in demand during a recession. Keep in mind that drinking habits will change in tough times, and not all manufacturers will benefit equally. In 2008 and 2009, for example, sales of higher-priced beverages suffered the most as people, well, they drank more per capita but bought less expensive booze. Funeral services benefit from the natural cycle of life continuing even during a recession, and so there is little impact to the demand for their products and services related to recessionary pressures. Again, not all companies will benefit the same. This time, it's because of changing consumer preferences away from traditional caskets to cremation and other similar alternatives. Healthcare companies well, they provide the medicines, the medical devices and treatments that people tend to need regardless of the state of the economy. While some savings can be sought here, the reality is that there are few alternatives out there for consumers who will cut back in other areas in order to keep their healthcare spending up. Let's take a quick look at the top 10 performing stocks in the S&P 500 during the last major recession of 2008 and 2009. Dollar Tree was up almost 61% for a one year total return. Vertex Pharmaceuticals, H&R Block, Amgen and Old Dominion Freight Lines round out the top five. Completing the top ten are Walmart, Edwards Life Sciences Corporation, Ross Stores, Alaska Air, and Hasbro. As you can see, a couple discount retailers, quite a few healthcare companies. Interestingly enough, Old Dominion Freight Lines. Hey, even if the economy slows down, goods still have to get from point A to point B, even if there are less of them. This week I was asked, how long do recessions tend to last? Great question. The answer is just under 18 months on average. Thank you for your question, Gary. The Federal Reserve meets this month on July 26th and 27th, and the central bank has already signaled that interest rates are going to go up again. The big question is by how much? Investor expectations are for a three-quarter point increase. Chairman Jerome Powell and numerous Fed governors have recently stated that a three-quarter percent hike is likely. But, like last month, where a half a point increase quickly changed to a three-quarter point one, there is no guarantee that the Fed won't raise rates by more than we currently expect remember in june that the fed reacted to inflation data and made a larger than expected increase in response keep an eye on july 13th that's when june's consumer price index data signaling inflation, is scheduled to be released. The Fed has shown that it will adjust its plan based on the most recent data available and don't rule out the Fed being very aggressive in its next move. Why? Fed meetings are scheduled for September, November and December. So a larger than expected increase this month gives the market and economy almost two months to react and for the Fed to then debate that reaction before deciding its next move in September. For those interested, 30-year mortgage rates are now just under 5.75%, according to Freddie Mac, up from 3.25% in early January. This is still below the 50-year average of almost 8%. Join us next week when we discuss the tech-heavy NASDAQ, which is down almost 30% this year. An opportunity to buy? Maybe? Tune in next Friday for that and much, much more. Thank you for listening, and please have a nice weekend when you get there. Talk to you next week.